Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. Chanting sounded really, really strong. The, the uh, one thing that occurred to me in the Heart Sutra in this translation is every time you hear this term, oh, Shariputra, Shariputra was the person who was the really smart student. He knew all the teachings. Um, he studied deeply. Um, and yet, he still didn't understand the wisdom of the heart, the heart sutra, that thing that sutures uh, our heart, so we're whole. And um, so, and I'm not going to go through the whole heart sutra now, but there, there's this one line that's really important. It's, it's it happens a couple times in the text where you hear "Oh, Shariputra." Um, this is Shariputra being told the teaching, but the word "Oh." Uh, O-H, is a, is a translation, but, but the actual word should be translated as here. Here, Shariputra. Sometimes you hear this, Shariputra. But the actual word is here. Um, this is a really important uh, emphasis related to our teaching that we're exploring on the Sandokal. Uh, here. Here. Yesterday, we finished with the uh, koan that is based on a dialogue with Shitu, and the punchline was, why aren't you a Buddha? Well, let's go through the whole thing again. Do, do you remember it? Yes. A student once asked Shitu, for those of you who weren't here, Elaine, Marissa, Leon, uh, Shitu is the uh, Chinese name for uh, Sakito, who is the author of the Sandoka. Same person. A student once asked Shitu, what is Buddha? Shitu said, you don't have Buddha mind. What's Buddha? You don't have it. The student said, I'm human. I run around and I have ideas. Shitu said, people who are active and have ideas, they, they have Buddha mind. Student said, well, well, why don't I have Buddha mind? And Shitu says, uh, because you're not willing to remain human. You are trying to transcend. You are trying to get beyond. 
you, you're not willing to be human. Um, this is the most esoteric teaching. How to be human. Why is it esoteric? Because the esoteric teachings are the ones that are secret. They're the ones that have to be shown face to face. They're the ones that just, they can't be understood just in a big Dharma talk. They're the, old, they're the ones that have to be shown really carefully and intimately. And so they're very esoteric. So the most esoteric teaching is to be human. <coughs> to remain human. It's right at the top of your head. Um, you don't have it. You don't have it. Why aren't you a Buddha? Because you're asking the question. You're seeing Buddha over there as this thing we're lighting incense in front of, as this sculpture at the front of the room, as this idea that Emily is covering Buddha nature, that Dave is covering his Buddha nature. And then Buddha nature is objectified. The Buddha is objectified. Um, From that vantage point of subject and object, you don't have it. But maybe people who are running around with ideas, they have it. (laughs) They have Buddha nature. Why? They're Buddhas because they're human. And you're doing all this spiritual practice and you don't have it. So one of the things I talked about in my own commentary on the Lotus Sutra is that when you really get a sense of interdependence, then you can become a student. Before that, you're not really a student because you have an idea about the practice. You have an idea of oneness. And then you're more a seeker, seeking after, seeking after something, some concept you have. So like Dogen said earlier yesterday, um, that's on the cover of your handout, uh, if, you, if you think that you're a beginner, or if you think you're trying to go beyond, get rid of that also if, you, if you're beginning. Um, or are you trying to transcend right now? Tired? Digesting? Grilled cheese? (laughs) Ravi's soup? (laughs) Can you can you accept it? Can you recognize it? Can you be human with it? The ash bowl was cleaned up, and still it's not perfect. Um, But it's willing to be that way. And we're so conditioned to be a success, to be something, to stand out, to profit to profit on our 
success, to, to profit on our education, to, to take our privilege and do something with it. Or nowadays to take your underprivilege and make something of yourself. And then your Buddha is somewhere else. Because you're, you're exploiting only one small part of you. And meanwhile, that's only some one section of the ash bowl. And the ash bowl is always sitting in front of the Buddha to remember. It's okay. The, the ash bowl, when you take this ash bowl and you put it over there by the window, it's like all nervous and stuff. <laughs> And the other thing we covered yesterday was working in partners and sharing. Share, sharing your imperfection. And, and really, um, how, how to do it in a way where your whole body is matching also what you're saying. Sometimes we're saying something and our face doesn't match. I do this all the time. When you feel something strongly but you don't quite, you're not quite in the space to really say it, and then your your face doesn't really match how you feel. So when the whole thing matches up, that's Buddha. It's never separate from you. So when it's separate from you, um, when you split yourself, th this is how you get ideology. That's where ideology comes from. Um, the the San Dokai San remember what this is? San is the world of difference manyness, of multiplicity of plurality and the Do is, is the world of unity of oneness, of emptiness um, and Kai is shaking hands Sandokai, the, the world of, of oneness and the world of difference are shaking hands. Does the sun from Skara have a similar... I don't know. I, I don't know. Because it's, ja it's Japanese. No, it's Chinese. So I don't know if there's any relation. There's a PhD for you. <laughs> uh, Karina knows that I've been lost in this poem uh, because I've been really unhappy with the translations so I, I can refer to Sanskrit text which is usually what I teach so I've been on the computer on the Chinese English dictionary <laughs> trying to figure out you know how they got some of these tra translations I have no idea um, so basically um, to sum up yesterday the great, the mind so remember, not the Buddha but the mind of the great sage of India is intimately transmitted from west to east India to China west to east the mind So this is not outside of you. Um, 
And I wanted to read a little poem that captures this, where we take the world of sen and make it do. And we take the world of do and make it sen. We take the things that are so plain, rolling out your yoga mat, and you make it really holy. And then you take the things that you think of as holy, lighting the incense, and you make it really mundane, back and forth, so they're shaking hands. So here's Allen Ginsberg's version of the Sandra. Holy, holy, holy. You should hear Patty Smith do this. It's pretty <laughs> holy, 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 holy. Holy, 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 holy. The world is holy. The soul is holy. The skin is holy. The nose is holy. The tongue and cock and hand and asshole. Holy. Everything is holy. Everybody's holy. Everywhere is holy. Every day is an eternity. Every man is an angel. The bum is as holy as the seraphim. The madman is holy as you. The typewriter is holy. The poem is holy. The voice is holy. The hearers are holy. The ecstasy, bless you, is holy. Holy Peter, holy Alan, holy Solomon, holy Lucian, holy Kerouac, holy Hunk, holy Burroughs, holy Cassidy, holy the unknown buggered and suffering beggars, Holy the hideous human angels. Holy my mother in the insane asylum. Holy the cocks of the grandfathers of Kansas. Holy the groaning saxophone. Holy the bop apocalypse. Holy the jazz bands, marijuana, hipsters, peace and junk and drums. Holy the solitude of skyscrapers and pavement. Holy the cafeteria filled with millions. Holy the mysterious rivers of tears under the streets. Holy the lone juggernaut. Holy the vast lamb of the middle class. Holy the crazy shepherds of rebellion. Who digs Los Angeles is Los Angeles. Holy New York. Holy San Francisco. Holy Peoria. Holy Seattle. Paris. Tangiers. Holy Moscow. Holy Istanbul. Holy time and eternity. Holy eternity and time. Holy the clocks in space. Holy the fourth dimension. Holy the fifth international. Holy the angel in Moloch. Holy the sea, holy the desert, holy the railroad, holy the locomotive. Holy the visions, holy the hallucinations, holy the miracles, holy the eyeball, holy the abyss. Holy forgiveness, mercy, charity, faith. Holy ours, bodies, suffering, magnanimity. Holy the supernatural, supernatural, extra brilliant, intelligent kindness of the soul. feel him here? <laughs> he had this way of writing where you know who it is who's writing. Every sentence, oh, that's a Ginsburg sentence. He's showing you the Sandokai. He's not writing about it. He never references the Sandokai. He's showing, showing it to you. Holy everything you can think of. Um, the the Sandokai is just pointing you back to your, your life. Holy. Every part. Even your asshole. <laughs> Do you remember this koan? How, how did that one go? 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. She thought she was enlightened. Yeah. At breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Or after breakfast. Uh huh. He said to her, what do you know about enlightenment? Then what was the answer? Oh, he said, no, did it shine up your ass? Yeah. And she had an answer. That was good. And then they... Oh, yeah, he said, did it shine up your ass? And she said, what do you know about enlightenment? Yeah. (laughs) And then then they they roll over laughing. Um, okay, so let's let's go back to the poem. Um, yes, last night Karina said you can't go line by line like this because it's it's so awful when we never finish the poem. <laughs> uh, like the past couple of texts we've studied, we never finish them. So we're gonna go a tiny bit quicker. Um, The mind of the great sage of India is intimately transmitted from west to east. While human faculties are sharp or dull, the way has no northern or southern ancestors. So, um, we make these distinctions, really smart and really dull. And there are some people who try to be spiritual or, or diplomatic or PC, Progressive conservative. And they say things like, oh, there's no smart and dull. IQ is really, and they deconstruct IQ. But at the end of the day, there are people who are smart. And there are people who are kind of dull. Like the fool that we talked about this morning. And um, some smart people have a certain path and practice. They're studying, they're learning texts, they're learning other languages. That, that's their path. And there are some people who, who are dull, and, and they have a different path. Um, but there is smart and dull, and also neither of them secures a particular quick route in practice. Suzuki Roshi says, you know, the smart people are really smart. They know a lot, but they forget it really easily. And then he said, me, I'm not so smart. And I don't think he was just being self-depreciating. I think, really, he thought he, he was kind of average. And maybe in his graduating class at AAG, he was just kind of an average student. He wasn't, like, shiny. You know. uh, but he was just himself. He was just being himself. And he says... Uh, All the other students were so smart, they ran away. But I stuck around. And so my teacher, he says, called me a crooked cucumber. (laughs) He was a crooked cucumber. You're a crooked cucumber, right? When you're being yourself. When you're being yourself. He's He's allowing himself to remain human. But you could also say... The same thing, like, smart and dull is also like saying rich and poor. There are people who are rich, 
and there are people who are poor. And you can't say they're the same. Their lives are different. When I was studying psychoanalysis, I had a supervisor at St. Clair and Young who had such a nice office. And she raised her fees, and I said, you know, I can't pay how much you charge for supervision. And you have this really nice office, and it brought up a lot for me, and it made me realize that her way of practicing and how we tend to do psychoanalysis, if you're not an OHIP-covered doctor, is for the wealthy. If you want someone to come a couple times a week or maybe four times a week and pay you for analysis, that's somebody who's got $400, $500 a week. And it was sort of this real kind of uh, churning time for me where I was starting to realize this woman who was my mentor, I was not going to be doing her way of practice. And one day she got upset because she was invested in me also, right? And she said, Michael, the poor people and the rich people are the same. They have the same problems, the same suffering. And I couldn't buy it. I didn't believe that. And so I left and I stopped, stopped working with her. Um, and one of the things I did when I started practicing, and we try and operate center of gravity like this, is just what people can pay, uh, that's what they pay. And sometimes there's people who, who haven't got any money. And one day I'll say to them, okay, now you have to pay the full wage. You have to go get a job because otherwise I'm colluding with you. And so there's a time to say to the person who doesn't, now is a time you need some money and you have to. You have to. So um, there are rich people and there are poor people and they don't have the same problems. And universally, maybe they do. And they don't. The sen and the do. You see? So um, another way of thinking about it is people who are talented and people who are not. Okay, so I play drums. So one day I was playing drums and I was with some friends who were in a band and there was two of us who were playing drums. And I realized the other drummer is incredible. <laughs> and then I realized all the drummers I've seen this year are so... And I, so I stopped playing drums. And I never missed it. And once in a while, I'll, if there's a drum set somewhere, I'll play drums. But I'm really terrible. I can't, I can't keep time. <laughs> but I love the feeling. <laughs> Of the drumming, but I can't actually keep keep the time. So um, I wasn't a good I wasn't a good drummer. Um, but everyone liked to have me in the band because I'm kind of a nice person to hang around with. <laughs> but I also realize there are people who are just really talented, really really talented, and I'm not so talented. And there's always some lefty person who's like, it doesn't matter, you know, you should be playing music and singing and drumming and, you know, uh, you have to express that, you know. But it's also good to know when other people can do that in the world. I'm the same way with carpentry. You know? Like, no matter how much I try, the thing will never be straight. And so it's better to get someone else to do it. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Shinru Suzuki was willing to be himself. Uh, we're so busy distinguishing ourselves and trying to be heroic 
And so we haven't yet taken the risk of being ourselves. Because we're trying to be ourselves. Do you remember how I was saying, you're making the Buddha outside of you? Well, you're making yourself outside of yourself. Freud said this. He said, the ego can do anything with itself. You wouldn't believe it. It even can separate itself from itself. Maybe this is the greatest risk, you know, <laughs> is to, to, to be the surface of the ash bowl, you know. All those different, all that whole landscape. Um, so to sum up, there is sharp and there's dull, but it's not better or worse. Sharp is not better, dull is not better, sharp is not worse, dull is not worse. And there's sharp and dull. We don't use those terms so much because we're so diplomatic, but you know who you are. <laughs> Last year at the beginning of the New Year's retreat, I said the same thing, because I, I had been reading the Sandokai and I started the New Year's retreat with this talk and I said, you know, some of you are really important and some of you are not so important. <laughs> what a mistake. <laughs> All the interviews, people were bringing this up. You know, when you said, uh, there's people important and some of us are not important, it really went in, you know. So maybe this year I'm going to make the theme important. And, and we, we get like that. Here we are in a community and it's beautiful. For the last hour we were working together, you know. And also the ego comes in and says, well, I want to get ahead. And how come she got to learn the incense? <laughs> right? And, and, and that's okay. And also just to bring awareness to that. Where, oh, well, I, I'm a little bit more. Right? Oh, I'm being seen. I'm being seen. And then next intensive comes, and you don't get a job like you're cleaning the floor. Oh, maybe I did a bad job. Maybe he <laughs> thinks I'm dull. Maybe it's not about being smart or dull. Maybe the heart of this is just hanging around long enough to get the spirit of what we're doing. I don't know how to teach that. This was the frustrating thing about psychotherapy when I was a psychotherapist. People, I never knew what to tell people. Like, I don't know what to do. People want to know what they should do. What should I do? <laughs> Who, who am I? I don't know what to do. But, but what I did know is that I could tell when they were covering themselves up. When their face didn't match what they were feeling. And then so I would hone in on that. But I didn't have anything positive to say. I didn't know like if they were good at something. Because I never saw them outside the session. I only knew them in relationship with me. So that's what we worked on, is whether the relationship was happening or not. And maybe any of you who ever do healing work with somebody, you don't know what kind of background they have or education or whether they're classically trained. Uh, but you can tell whether the relationship works. And that's the only thing that's healing, is whether the relationship's working or not. So... Um, the next line. 
the spiritual source. Um, the, sometimes it's translated as the subtle source. The subtle source, source shines clear in the light. The branching streams flow on in the dark. Um, this word that's being translated as spiritual source is the second um, radical. And it's made up of three parts. Uh, clouds. See, I found this funny. Because here is this subtle teaching. And then suddenly you have this term, the spiritual source. It doesn't. It didn't sound like it fit, so I went on the dictionary and started investigating, because um, apparently it says in the introduction to the Shinru Suzuki text. I, I think um, I don't know where in the introduction, but if you read it, it said in the introduction that when Shinru Suzuki originally gave these talks, he broke down all the characters and went through them, but it made a terrible read, so they edited that part out. And so I think they had to, or you wouldn't be able to read it. And we lost something important, because unlike English, the Chinese radicals are ideograms. And, and, and there's kind of visual component. So this term, the spiritual source, has three parts. Clouds with water. Uh, the moon and the sun together. And then purity. So I wanted to say something about the spiritual source, because this actually might be the heart of the poem here. Um, picture a, a moist cloud, but looking at it through the water. So the reflection of a cloud in the water. Okay, It's pure, it's bright, it's light, but it's not a burning bright. It's a really gentle light. It's mellow. And it's not sort of coming and going. It's a kind of consistent, soft light. Usually when we think of the source, I don't know about you, but when I hear the source, I think of burning light or rays coming down, you know. Um, but here the source is um, a soft light lit from the back backlit cloud. It's filtered. It's really quiet and peaceful. Um, and it's moist. It's not burning. And also, it's not doing anything. It's a quiet, moist warmth. It's not an Arizona sun. Just a quiet warmth through a cloud. Um, in the Japanese, the word is uh, gen, and the ideogram is, uh, which is what you can see here, um, the ideogram is a cliff with a spring on the side. And apparently over time, according to the dictionary, they added a few dots to make it look so you could really see the water coming out of the spring which is how they defined source. Um, 
It's a little bit like when you encounter a spring. Uh, this summer I was in Maine. And you'd be hiking along and then there'd be a spring. And when you, when you get to a spring coming out of the ground, it's an amazing thing because this is the source of the river. Um, there's a wonderful Chinese poem, I forgot what it's called, where it says, if you follow the river all the way back to its source, you're following it to cloud. And there, that's the source. But then if you follow the cloud, you're back in the river again. So the source is kind of circular. But it's not this burning, like, creative energy. You know? um, now, the way this poem is constructed, as some of you have realized, it's in parallels. So, if you just say the spiritual source shines clear in the light, the branching streams flow in the dark, it doesn't really make sense, because what are the branching streams referring to? But if you understand it as this cloud being reflected in the water, then you have this sense of water, of moistness, of flowing, and then branching streams. Um, so there are opposites. There's the source, do, and the branching streams, san. The one and multiplicity. Um, the source can't be separated from the branches. The source is the branches. Uh, Norman Fisher, in a separate uh, paper, compares uh, the source with gravity. The source is like gravity because without the things on which gravity acts, there's no gravity. There's only gravity because of the things that gravity is acting on. There is only a source because you can recognize it through the branches. And there are only branches because there is a source. They inter-are. They inter-exist. They inter-live. Um, you can't go out and fill a cup with gravity. Go take a bag. This should be a partner exercise. <laughs> go get a garbage bag. Go outside and go get a little bit of gravity. Uh, you can't get a gravity because you can't separate gravity from things. Um, it's a little bit like uh, being. Uh, you can't have being outside of beings. You can only recognize being through beings. But they can't be separated. There is no being outside of beings. And there's no gravity outside of things. You can't understand the earth without gravity. And you can't understand humans without being. They, they go together. Um, in other words, the source is always necessary, but it's unnameable. You can't say what it is. It's just that backlit cloud. Um, Karina is not gravity. Mike is not gravity. Sarah is not gravity. And yet, I can only experience or see gravity through you. 
If I want to get a sense of gravity, I just check out Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when your Udiyanda gets better, Udiyanda Banda gets better, I won't recognize it as much. But right now, I look at you and I see gravity. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. This time. Last night, when I was writing these notes, I'm going to be honest. I, I, I was talking about faces, and then I thought. Well, if I say I look at someone's face and I see gravity, <laughs> then I started feeling a little bad. <laughs> yeah. um, so things are things, and they're also the source. But the source doesn't go through development like you do. So gravity isn't going through some process of development, of maturation. Gravity is just gravity. But you are going through a process of change. Do you get this sense of, of the oneness and the multiplicity? They're shaking hands. Um, and all this takes place in the dark. It's all taking place under the surface. You have this life that you name and you understand. And underneath it, there's this whole other life going on. And so when we're practicing, we're, we're touching that, those branching streams under the surface. Now, this is a little interesting note. Thank you to the online dictionary. There is no word in this text for streams. It was just added to make it connect to the previous sentence that hints at water. So the only word is branching. Streams is not in there. Um, and funny enough, the word for branching also means uh, sects, uh, schools, and viewpoints, and proliferations, four different meanings. Sects, schools, viewpoints, proliferations. So you have the Dharma, and then you have the schools. And you can't have the Dharma without the schools. But you can't have the schools with, without the Dharma. Um, that's why it's so important that you don't come to this practice to figure it out. That's why it's so important that you don't think of Buddhism as psychology. This is the hip thing we do now. Oh, like if you're at a dinner party and you say, oh, I'm studying Buddhism. Someone goes, oh, God, I mean, I'm just not into religion. And usually the first thing you say, well, it's quite scientific. <laughs> or or you might say to someone, it's very psychological. Um, Buddhism is, there's no psyche in Buddhism. So Buddhism is not a psychology, a psycheology. It's a mindology. We're, we're studying mind. So when we study psychology, we're taking our stories and we're integrating them into a recognizable narrative. Uh -huh. Or we're deconstructing a narrative to reconstruct another kind of narrative. 
And in the Dharma, we're trying to just see that process. Just to see that process. And to see that it's empty of a fixed line that runs through it. Even though sometimes we name the line. In the Theravada traditions, we name it selflessness. And in the Mahayana tradition, we give it a positive, like we say no self, inside your true self. But those names are not the source. You see? So we should have a new kind of discipline called mindology. <laughs> so when people say, oh, is that a religion? You can say, well, it's, it's a bit of a mindology. <laughs> Just to get them really interested. Uh, a logos of the mind. Uh, what is the logic? What's the logos of mind? What's the logos of the world? What's the logic of the world? What is the logic of the world? Uh, this is what we're touching when we get quiet. Um, Shitu, well, let, let me say one, one other thing about that, is that meditation is really not about understanding. It's about developing a kind of interior consciousness. A kind of way of relating to your inner life. Where your inner life becomes rich and also something you don't stick to. And you create your body into this zone where nothing can land and stick. Where things, it's, it's, it's not that you're slippery, <laughs> but it's that things don't stick so easy. Um, there's a beautiful uh, film about D.T. Suzuki, a documentary. And the, the, the documentary filmmaker is sitting across from D.T. Suzuki, not Shunra Suzuki, and says to D.T. Suzuki, You've been practicing your whole life. Um, what's changed? D.T. Suzuki just looks into the camera. And then the narrator says, um, do you still get sad? And D.T. Suzuki says, yes, but when the tears land, they don't grow roots. A few years ago, my friend Heather Fries and I went down to New York and we did a, a film interview, which has been lost of Tony Packer. Um, she's aging, she was in a wheelchair. Um, and so we sa I said to, I asked Tony, um, you, you came from Nazi Germany. How does that impact your practice? And she said, oh, I don't think about that too much. So the psychotherapist in me was like, <laughs> but then she said um, those details from the past I don't give them much sun or water it's the same thing that D.T. Suzuki is saying Th those things from the past they're here now but I don't water them so much oh 
if we could do this a little more, some of us. Um, she too wrote another poem in addition to this one called the Sandoka, called the Song of the Grass Roof Hermitage. Doesn't that so sound like so contemporary urban? Uh, the Grass Roof Hermitage. Um, and he describes meditation practice as a way that returns you to the world. You know how often we say, we're going on retreat. Mm-hmm. But he, 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 all his poems are about practice as returning you back into the world. Or as Bernie Glassman would say, plunge. They're plunging you back into the streets. And um, here's, here's one line from, from uh, there's two lines from one poem I want to read. One is, Relax completely, open your hand, and walk fresh. Relax completely, open your hands, and walk fresh. Another one, turn around the light to shine within, and then return. Turn around the light to shine within, and then return. Don't get stuck in the oneness. Uh, just return. Just sit. Just Sarah. Just Helen. Yesterday you were Heather. Today you're Helen. <laughs> um, to be attached to things. Um, if you keep going, uh, to be attached to things. The branching streams slow on in the dark. Grasping at things is surely delusion. To be attached to things. Um, so I looked up the word things. This was very interesting. The word that's being translated for things is the same word that's being ch- that uh, you would use for matter, like what's the matter, or business. Mm. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. Business or matter. Don't be attached to business. Don't be attached to business. Don't be attached to the matter. Um, And this word shows up again later in the chant. Life and death are of supreme importance. Uh, The matter is important, but don't be attached to it. Um, Life and death are the big thing. That's how I would translate it. Life and death are the big thing. But sticking to anything is fundamentally delusion. Why is it fundamentally delusion? Because it's fundamental to stick to things. We all stick to things. Um, The essence of delusion, what's the essence of this idea of delusion or illusion? The essence of it is holding on to things. Why, Why do you get stuck in delusions about things? Or confusion? Stephen Batchelor always translates the word delusion as confusion. Why do you get stuck in confusion? Because you're holding on to things. Um, how do you let go? Giving. Generosity. Giving. Whenever you're holding on to things, the first thing that you lose is your ability to be generous. To, to give. You're too involved in the business, and so you can't give. 
So what he's saying is that sticking is the opposite of giving. If you have something to give, give it. What do you have to give? Give it away. Don't hold on. Time. Money. What skill do you have to give? And give it. It's so much better when you're giving to people. It's so much better. And maybe some people's work is a little more in the dough. Give it away. Give everything away. And some people's work is a little more in the sand, in the world of difference. I need, I, I need to take care of myself so I can give. So you need to know where in your life you're at. Are you taking care of yourself enough that you can give it away? Because if you're going to die, dying is... And this is straight from the Heart Sutra. The end of fear. Giving up. We always think dying is stealing. I, death is coming and stealing my life. But what if we flipped it and instead said, when I die, it's generosity. It's, I'm, I'm giving it back. Giving everything back. Right? My son, he gets my money. Well, not my son, but... Etc., etc. I don't have a motorcycle license. My father, um, who's in his 60s, he uh, races motorcycles. This is what he, he's really into. He has very fancy motorcycles. And so uh, we went out for dinner for uh, my birthday a couple weeks ago. And he said... I'm going to leave you my bikes. <laughs> I didn't even know what to say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Grasping at things is fundamentally delusion. Can you feel that? Can you feel that? So if we just back up a little bit, um, and I know I've said a lot, I just want to keep going a little bit because I, I really want to get through this. When we say like branching streams is differentiation and the source is oneness, it's not that there are branching streams and that there is a source. It's that those are representations of a feeling you have for your life. Some people are feeling in their life the oneness. That, that's where they really need to work. And that's the job of religion, is to, to, to bring us to the oneness. And it's the job of religion because we're so in the difference. Right? And then also you go through oneness to difference. And difference looks different. Or you go through difference to oneness. Or you go through oneness to difference, and the oneness looks different. Because if you go really deep into difference, you get oneness. So, um, if I wanted to create intimacy, 
not create it. If I wanted to discover the intimacy between Elaine and I, I wouldn't look at how we're the same so much. Because if I only look at how we're the same, then I kind of miss Elaine. Because I only know how I can see her as the same as me. Which is usually what we do. Oh yeah, we're the same. Let's be in a club together. (laughs) But to be different, if I can recognize how we're different, then a closeness comes. Because then I see Elaine more. Right? A few years ago, it was around the time, uh, just before my son was born, I had a two-year correspondence with Luce Origuri, who is a uh, French feminist philosopher. She was a student of Simone, she was a friend of Simone de Beauvoir and John Pelsall, and um, she split from their camp because they were all about women's equality, and she really felt that women that was the wrong route to go. What we needed to have was women's difference. That if we could recognize the difference in genders, we would get somewhere deeper. So she said, yes, equality legally, okay. But philosophically and how we think and how we behave, we actually need to focus more not on the sameness, but on the difference. And this will bring a deeper respect for each other. And what she did was she went uh, into classrooms and studied the way boys and girls use language. And she did this for many years. All these studies about how boys and girls use language to try and show some of the relationships between language and gender and intimacy. And I'm not going to get into all her work, but it's very wonderful. I had been reading her work, and then I started seeing in footnotes references to the Yoga Sutra, to the Vedas. And then it turns out that she... When she got kicked out of her French club, uh, some of you know after she wrote her first book, she got kicked out of the university. She went to India, and she started studying with Krishnamacharya, one-on-one. And what he was always teaching her was that women and men should practice yoga differently. And he said to her, she said, the seed of yoga comes up differently in men and women. And she, this really inspired her, lit the fire for her to be thinking about difference. We won't go too far there. But you see, intimacy actually, our mind tells us it comes from the compassion of oneness. But it can also come through difference. To res- and this doesn't mean tolerating difference. It means being curious of our, of our difference. How many relationships have you been in that have ended because you've been trying just to get sameness and you haven't been able to to really get into the difference? When you you fall for somebody, usually you fall for the sameness. Or if they're really different, you say, oh, that's what I need. Uh, <laughs> they sleep in. I, I need more of that. 
you know. And then you split up because they sleep in from noon. <laughs> so, grasping at things is delusion. According with sameness is still not enlightenment. According with so, connecting with oneness is not enlightenment. Why? Because you have an idea of oneness. Wouldn't you? If someone said, you know, connect with oneness, that's enlightenment. I say it all the time. Be one with your experience. But if you said to me, I I became one with my experience. I would say, you don't have Buddha nature. <laughs> because as soon as you do that, you've conceptualized it. Shinra Suzuki, the way he talks about it, is with these two characters, uh, Ri and Ji. Uh, Ri is like the Do. Ri is, is the oneness. And Ji is like the conceptual, conceptual world. And at one point, a student is talking to him. I, I hope you've read this. Mm-hmm. You know how there's dialogues at the end of each chapter? And the student says, well, uh, okay, Ri and Ji. So the student gets this. And he says, and, the, and he asks him something about it in Japanese English. And Shinra Suzuki says, if I translated Ri from Japanese to English, it would be Ji. As soon as you translate the oneness, it's different. I love that. If I translated the word for oneness, ri, then it would be ji. As soon as I translate it. In Zen, there's a saying, whenever you open your mouth, you get mud on your face. (laughs) How do you talk? And that's why at Center of Gravity, we focus so much on talking to each other. So your practice is not just private. Uh, all of us have probably been to centers, if you have, have ever, where you know you practice, no one talks to each other. Uh, so we express our practice. It's not enough just to have a pro- private experience. And then that also makes you swallow your projections of other people. Oh, mm-hmm. you see Emily from a distance, and it's like, oh, she's... <laughs> You know, one of the Montreal. <laughs> you know, one of those people. You know, you can picture her walk-up apartment and her whole life in the plateau, right? Um, and then you talk to her. It's like that's not that that person. We we have this joke sometimes. You might have heard of it about the vipassana lover. Does anybody know about this? No. So this is like on silent retreats. It always happens. You're on silent retreat. And there's always someone in front of you that you fall in love with. Right? Because you have desire and it has to go somewhere. So it's like... And you get obsessed about them and you think about them for the whole ten days. And then on the last day, it's time to start talking. And then, you know, so you manipulate your way into, to sit across from them. And they open their mouth and you think... <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> you know? Um, she's a man. <laughs> so, so then um, we also have Vipassana mm-hmm. Nemesai. Mm-hmm. 
right? Someone who's just irritating you, irritating you all the time, then it's the last day and they bring you, you know, your cushion from the zendo. They bring you a brownie. Mm -hmm. So kind. Do you need a ride home? And it, it, so this is in communication is also a valid form of practice because it always interrupts your view. That's why communicating is so important as a Buddha. You have to communicate as yourself. If you lie, then it's a disservice to someone else's life because you're not sh showing them who you are and you're killing yourself. <clears throat> okay. We've covered a lot, huh? <laughs> and still, I have no idea. <laughs> what what is he going on about it? I'm trying to understand. So, uh, to sum up, Sakito is saying, don't get stuck in anything. Don't get stuck in oneness. Don't get stuck on oneness. Emptiness is empty. Don't go past oneness. If you're stuck in the details of your life, look at the oneness part. Look at the other side. And then when you get a feel for the other side, go past it so you can re-see your life. That was the little jab at psychotherapy. How sometimes we're just putting the pieces together so much. Reintegrating the narrative. Reintegrating the narrative. Rebuilding the self. That we miss the mindology. That the psyche is stories. But the mind, it doesn't have a base. And that's the logos, that's, that's the land, that's the landscape, that's the illogic logic that we're trying to touch. It's not where we're figuring everything out all the time. I'll say one more thing and we'll wrap up. Um, this is a really wonderful full book. I know some of you know this book and some of you don't. So um, there, there was a guy named Zen Master Kaizen. Uh, he was uh, uh, Japanese, and um, uh, he was born in 1268. And what he did is he took all of the people who were teachers who came before him, starting from the Buddha, and he researched their the experiences that woke them up. And so all the main characters up until, you know, 12th century, uh, 53 of them, he documents their biographies in terms of their awakening. So it's a very old text and it's fun to read. But whenever you hear somebody, Yaoshan or Joshu or Ananda, you just look it up in here. And you hear Kaizen's reworking of their biography in terms of their awakening. We should do this. We should rewrite our biographies. Not in terms of what our parents did to us. 
But in terms of those moments where we were awake, how different we would think about our past. When I go to think about my past, it's like, So, um, uh, here, so, so obviously, uh, this is, his name wouldn't be Sakito, it would be Shitu, traditionally. And so, uh, in chapter 36, you get his, his biography. Uh, and, and it starts with one of the main experiences of his life. So, Shitu called on Zen master, Xingwan, who asked him, this is a very common question, you've heard this before, who asked him, where have you come from? Such a good question to really get somebody, to catch them. Where have you come from? Newmarket. <laughs> so that could be someone really on the difference side. Or some, if you say, where do you come from? And someone's clever and they say, you know, original mind. Uh, it's just as bad as Newmarket. <laughs> Nothing's as bad as Newmarket. <laughs> Where have you come from? From Shitu said, from Sauchi. Now, Sauchi, you should know, is where the sixth patriarch, Queening, who wrote the Platform Sutra, that's where he taught. Sauchi. From Sauchi. Xingwan held up a whisk. <coughs> Where's the baton? Imagine this is the whisk. <laughs> held up a whisk and said, Is there this at Sauchi? And Shitu said, Nope, not at all. Not even in India. Xingwan said, India? Have you been to India? Can you feel what's happening? Have you been to India? Shitu said, if I had, it would be there. It's being really clever, right? India's empty, right? It's not really there. If I had been to India, it would be there. It would be a thing, right? going way on the absolute side. It would be a thing. Um, Xingwan's too smart for this. So he says, that's not enough. Say more. And Shitu says, no, you say half of it. In other words, meet me. You say 50% of it. Um, don't rely entirely on me. So the student saying this. No, you say half of it. Don't rely entirely on me. Um, Xingwan said, I don't decline to speak to you, but I'm afraid later on no one will get it. In other words, I'm not declining to give you the proper response, but if you don't figure it out for yourself, when I die, who's going to pass on the teaching? Do you see the mind-to-mind -mind transmission? So the, the student says, you, you, how would you say it? You say, you start me, get, give me a hint. You say, well, I don't mind giving you a hint, but if you don't figure it out yourself, how is this going to get passed on? Remember, this has happened to Sakito again. You go figure it out. Remember we talked about that yesterday? Um, Xingwan said, 
I don't decline to speak to you, but I'm afraid that later on no one will get it. She too said, it's not that they won't get it, but no one can really say it. And Xing Wan looked at him and took the whiff and smacked him. <laughs> and as soon as he felt the smack, he woke up. No words. Shitu called on Zen master Xing Wan, who asked him, Where have you come from? Shitu said, From Sao Chi. Xing Wan held up a whisk and said, Is there this at Sao Chi? Shitu said, Not only at Sao Chi, not only not at Sao Chi, not even in India. In other words, not the Buddha, not even the Buddha in India. He's really on it, yeah? Xingwan said, you haven't been to India, have you? Shitu said, if I had, it would be there. It could have ended right there, right? That, I mean, that's really deep right there. If I had been to India, India would be there. But there's no such thing as India. India is a name, it's a location, and so on. But what? It's like saying, I went to Toronto. Well, what are the borders? Well, what's Toronto? Or, I know myself. <laughs> what a shame. Right? Um, that's not enough. Say more. It pushes a little bit. Um, Chitu said, you too should say half of it. Don't rely entirely on me. Xingwan said, I don't decline to speak to you, but I'm afraid that later on no one will get it. Shitu said, it's not that they won't get it, but nobody can say it. You can't say it. So, Xingwan agrees. So he picks up the staff and whacks him. And then both of them are. <laughs> oh, right. um, I, I just want to read you what Kaizen says in the next paragraph. Because... Um, well, I'll give you my own version, but uh, she too leaves and realizes what he should do. This is really important. He leaves and realizes what he should do with his life, and he goes into society and he works to stop animal sacrifices. 12th century. So this is a time where animals were still sacrificed as religious practice. And he leaves this experience and realizes it's not out there. It's not out there. You, you can't sacrifice animals and pray to the gods that you're going to have a better life when you die. That's out there. So from his experiences, he goes to work to save animals from being sacrificed. So, maybe if Shitu was around now, he'd say, um, let's open up this wall so we can see the abattoir down the road. And let's stop that. Yeah. Uh, it's not out there. It's not out there. So, this is Shitu's life. The reason why I wanted to add that story is because 
this poem is asking you to do something. Do something about this. Express it. Activate it in your life. How are you going to do that? So, what I'd like to do is just pause, have a five-minute break, have a little time for discussion, and then we'll chant. How does that sound? Yeah? Quick smoke? 